So the reading tonight, we can sit down. Um, so the reading tonight is from Luke, um, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. Um, it's page 1050 in the Church Bibles. That's 1050 with a five zero. <laughs> okay, the parable of the shrewd man- manager. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commanded the dishonest manager, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity this evening to gather as your people and to hear your voice. And we pray you would help us to do that this evening. You give us ears to hear and hearts that long to trust you and obey. Amen. Amen. We'll do keep uh, Luke 16 open. And also there's a handout uh, you should have got on your way in, which will uh, give you a rough idea where we're going. Uh, It's important to plan for the future, isn't it? I I wonder, how's your pension portfolio looking? Yeah, a few shot faces already, slightly worried. I, um, I saw an article in The Independent Online where experts said that the, the British person uh, needed at least £260,000 in order to enjoy a comfortable retirement. Uh, it gets worse, they said that a renting, a millennial who's currently renting, will need double that in order to have a comfortable retirement. Uh, this isn't a sermon about pensions advice, though, but I do recommend them. Uh, But pensions is just one area, isn't it, where our future shapes the now. We invest in lots of things now because they'll impact our future. 
I mean, think about the young folks who are taking exams. They, they work hard to invest in their exams now because it impacts their future. In fact, if we're honest, much of what we do in our lives is about building a better future for ourselves or for our families. It's, it's what drives us on, what keeps us going. It's what we plough our energy into. And then we die. We do. All that time, all that energy, all that investment, and, and then we die. And so here's the question that Jesus is asking of you and I t- tonight. It's this. How much does eternity shape your life now? I mean really shape it. How much or how many of the decisions that you make about uh, holidays, what car you drive, what home you own, where you live, what clothes you buy, what technology stuff you have, what you're going to spend on weddings or birthdays, what phone you use, how much you're going to put aside for the kids. How much are all these things shaped by the reality that life in this world is a gnat's breath compared to eternity? In these verses this evening, we uh, see Jesus teaching uh, his disciples about what it looks like to be part of God's kingdom. And his point, I think, is very simple. It's a complicated passage, but his point is simple. Let eternity shape your attitudes to wealth. So, let's into the, into the passage then. In these verses, Jesus introduces us to a rich man who has a manager of his estate. And the manager is accused of wasting his possessions. Now, we don't know if that was an accidental mismanagement or deliberate wrongdoing. But either way, the manager knows he's guilty and he knows what's coming. A P45 in the post. So he thinks, well, what will I do? I'm not strong enough for manual labour. I'm too proud to beg. Ah, but he's a shrewd operator, this guy. And so he, he devises a plan. He calls in two people who owe his master money. And he takes some money off their bills. It's clever, isn't it? Because he knows that way that in a few weeks' time when he doesn't have a job and he needs a favour, he can go and knock on their doors and say, hey... You owe me. He's shrewd. Very clever. And here comes the surprising bit. Just look at verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Now, you should be thinking, hang on a minute. Why is the master commending the manager? Surely he'd be angry. Not commending him. Uh, You can read the commentaries in your own time to get a whole load of different theories of why uh, the manager, the master commends the manager. Some suggest he had just taken off the interest or he'd deducted his own commission. I think most likely uh, the boss is uh, is not happy. He probably isn't happy, but one can not be happy about something and still recognise shrewdness. You know, you know the sort of thing where someone does something you don't like, you think, oh, that's clever. I think that's probably what's going on here. But what matters more is not uh, why the master reacts like he did, but why Jesus tells the parable. And that's in the second half of verse 8. 
That's what Jesus says. He says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kinds than are the people of the light. So Jesus is using this parable to make a comparison between believers and unbelievers. People of the world and people of the light. We've got those the wrong way around. And what he's saying about people of the world is this. He's saying people of the world have the foresight to be shrewd now in light of their future. They know what's coming and thinking about what's later on so that they have the foresight to act now in light of that. So like the manager. The manager makes decisions and choices. And so do people of the world. And Jesus says, the thing is that people of the light are not so shrewd. People who know that eternity is ahead do not allow their lives now to be shaped by the future in the same way. He's saying that's, that's crazy. And so Jesus, what he does is he tells this parable, he goes on to give three applications of how eternity should shape our attitude to wealth. How we can be shrewd in our lives. And so the first thing is this, verse 9, be generous to others. Verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Uh, This is one of the verses I've had to grapple with. It's one of the verses that's not particularly clear. Uh, And that's because if you look in different translations of the Bible, they all seem to have slightly different emphases on this verse. And one of the questions is, is it God who welcomes us into homes and the new creation, or is it friends who welcome? I don't know. Again, read the commentaries and take your pick. But here is what's clear in this passage. Verse 9 is saying that the believer is to be generous to others because worldly wealth will not last. It will fail. It will run out and it will be gone. So it's better to use that wealth now generously with others. And those who do that will find that their generosity is rewarded in the new creation. It's, um, it's very easy to find stories of great missionaries who've generously sacrificed everything to travel around the world and take the gospel to different countries. Someone like C.T. Studd, a former England cricketer, uh, very privileged backgrounds. He gave away all his inheritance and went to China to tell people about Jesus. You can read about those sort of people, but the stories that are well, perhaps less well-known are the stories of people who downgrade family holidays, who give up on the new car, who persevere with the the old computer, or or live in the not-quite-so-nice area. And they do those things because they want to be generous to others. And you think, what can motivate someone to, to make those tough calls? Well, it's... I think it's their eternity shapes their attitude to wealth now. Their future impacts how they live now. So firstly then, be generous. But the second way I think we are to let eternity shape our attitude to wealth is by being faithful 
to God. Let's look at verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. It's a, a very common saying, really, isn't it? You think about um, uh, what a parent might say to a child. They'll say, look, if, you, if I give you this one, then you can have a nicer one. When I was at junior school, I uh, started trumpet lessons. And my parents uttered the horrible words, don't worry, we've got one of those up in the loft. And down it came, you know, when the brass has gone all green. And um, uh, so I rocked up to my trumpet lesson, and everyone else had those higher purchase ones, and me with my green-coloured trumpets. But they said to me, look, if, if you look after this one, if you keep going, we'll, we'll get you a nicer one. I was too embarrassed, I gave up. That was the, the end of my musical career. So it's a very common phrase and idea, isn't it? Look, look after this, you'll get more. It's the same in the office. When, it, when you're at work, you don't get a big project before you've shown that you can handle a small one. The parent or the boss in those situations needs to make sure that you can be trusted. That's the idea of being faithful. So verse 11, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? True riches here, I think, are, the, are what we will receive in God's eternal kingdom, the spiritual blessings of serving God. And so Jesus is saying this, if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, with earthly riches, why would I trust you with true riches in eternity? Letting eternity shape our attitude to wealth is about being faithful to God with what you've been given. Verse 12, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? It's the same thing. I think in this verse, though, um, God is particularly talking about what belongs to him, his property. So everything in this world belongs to God's. There's nothing that is yours. Nothing. Everything you have is made from stuff that belongs to God. He's lent it to us for our enjoyment, for our care, and for us to cultivate and develop. But it's not ours, it's his. And so I think what Jesus is saying is this. If you cannot care for what you've been given by God, how can you expect to be given anything by God? in the next life. If you use much of this creation for your own selfish gain, why would God give you blessings in the next world? One of the ways I think we can um, justify our own lack of generosity is by thinking, well, I, I don't have much money. All I have is my allowance or my my low salary or my, my paper rounds. What does what a paper round pay these days? It was £10.50 for six days' work in my day. I don't know what it is now, but whatever it is, it's not much, is it? And we think, well, I can't, I can't really give generously because I have so little. But the thing is, Jesus is saying, no, 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 we can all be generous and we can all be faithful. Because letting eternity shape your attitude to wealth now means being faithful to God with what you've been given. 
And that might be very small, but it's about being faithful to God with that. So we're to be generous. We're to be faithful to God. And thirdly, we are to choose our master. Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Challenging words, aren't they? And there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. Some people are born into money, receive inheritance. Some people are incredibly gifted in business. Some people were just in the right place at the right time. To have wealth is is not sinful. But to live for wealth is. And there's a huge difference between those two things. James had uh, started a graduate job. He'd he'd left university with loads of debts. And uh, he'd finally got to the stage of life where he could go out... Uh, for nice food with friends, and he'd begun to um, save a deposit for a house. And he knew that he should give to church, and he did give a bit. But right now, he felt like he had to prioritize his own needs, and he'd give more later. Or what about John and Margaret? John and Margaret had worked hard all their life, and they were finally enjoying their retirement that they look forward to. And now they did give some money away, but it was only what they'd got left after they'd perfected their home and perfected the garden and travelled around the world. After all, they were entitled to those things. They'd worked all their lives hard. See, when it comes to our wealth, in light of eternity, we need to ask ourselves the hard question of what are we living for? Who is our master? Is it money and wealth or God's? Now, of course, not many of us actually just live for money. We live for what money can give us. What money can buy us. And it can give us significance, status, rest, honour, prestige, the envy of others. Those are the things we serve. Those are the things that money can buy. And so this evening, Jesus asks us all, he says, who is your master? Wealth and money and what it can buy or God's. And you can't have both. Who or what do you live for? And now you might, you might hear Jesus' words this evening and think, yeah, but okay, it's, it's not wrong, is it, to save for a house? or to have a nice garden or home, or to travel the world. And if you're thinking that, then you're right. Of course it's not wrong to do those things. The question here is not what it's okay to have or not have, what it's okay to enjoy or not enjoy. The question is, what are you living for? What do our hearts long for? What shapes our priorities? There's nothing wrong with wealth, but Jesus challenges us this evening to let eternity shape our attitude towards it. He tells us to be generous. He tells us to be faithful with what we've been given, and he tells us to serve him 
alone. So I wonder, how is that going for you? Does your eternal future shape what holiday you go on? What car you drive? What home you own? What clothes you buy? What technology stuff you have? What you spend on weddings or birthdays? What phone you use? How much you save for the kids? Because this life is like a gnat's breath compared to eternity in the new creation. I wonder, I hope, like me, you feel the the pinch and the challenge of these verses. These are tough things to hear when we live in such a materialistic society where wealth accumulation underpins so much of our culture. The tough, the challenging. And so the question is, how might we respond this evening to Jesus' challenging teaching? Well, let me um, suggest three ways. The first thing we could do is ridicule, or be subject to ridicule by others. Look at verse 14. The Pharisees, who are obviously listening in on this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. I was chatting to someone this week who had a friend who decided they were going to move away and they uh, decided they were going to get rid of all their stuff. They felt like they've accumulated too much stuff and so they packed everything they wanted or needed into a suitcase and gave the rest away. Well, it's a bit easy to ridicule people like that, isn't it, for being a bit over the top, a bit overzealous. It's easy to, to ridicule the person who doesn't look very cool because they don't have unbranded clothes. In fact, often they buy their clothes from charity shops because they want to be generous with their money towards others. It's easy to tease someone for being out of touch because their phone is something from 1990. But they've made a conscious decision to do that because they want to be faithful to God with their money. Perhaps it's easy to pity the family with the old car or the the house that needs a bit of work because they've chosen to serve God, not wealth, as their master. Now the reason that people would mock people like this is because they make us feel uncomfortable. They challenge us. They expose us, don't they? This new teaching of Jesus was exposing the Pharisees, the religious leaders. It it makes them look greedy and selfish. No one wants to look greedy or selfish. So better just to tease Jesus as the weirdo, the overzealous one. Jesus' teaching here in these verses is so radical that it will probably look a bit odd in the lives of people who follow him. So we shouldn't be surprised if we get teased or ridiculed. It's because we, by God's grace, expose people. We make people look bad when we give money away. I hope hope in this church family that we're not a church family that would uh, tease people. But you know what, even the lovely congregation of Samaria's, we might be guilty of um, a little bit of snobbery, mightn't we? The snobbery about how people look 
or how people's homes look, or what cars they drive, as we sinfully try to rank ourselves on the ladder of success of people at St. Mary's. And so we should remember that it might just be those that we perceive to be lower down the ladder of success of St. Mary's who are actually there because they've let eternity shape their attitude to wealth, sought to be faithful to God and generous. So the first response is to ridicule. The second response is rules, verse 15. The way the Pharisees always seek to justify themselves before God and before others was by pointing to their rule-keeping. Not just the Old Testament law, but the rules on top of the rules which they had made. And it was their obedience to those rules that they thought made them okay with God. And so when Jesus teaches this radical generosity, they laugh. They don't need to do that. All they've got to do is keep the rules. And that's enough. I think um, off the back of teaching like this, the question that people often ask is, okay, Jesus, I understand this teaching, but then how much should I give? Should I give 10%, like in the Old Testament, that God's people were to tithe? And I think often we want to ask that question because we want to know what is an acceptable standard before God. We want to know what rules we need to keep. But Jesus says to think like that is to think like the Pharisees. And look what Jesus says to them. Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. But God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. See, God doesn't care about how you compare to other people. God cares about your heart. He cares about who you're serving, not how much you give. Because it's our hearts that matter, we have nothing to prove, and that's why what we do with our giving and wealth should be kept private. So it doesn't matter whether people give more or less than you, what matters is, are you being faithful to God with what you've been given? So we could respond with ridicule, rules, or there is a third option, and we'll finish with this. Jesus' words here are challenging. And there is only one way that we will find the motivation to live them out, and that is by remembering God's generosity in Christ. You see, the one who asks us to generously give away our wealth now is the one who will welcome us into eternity. The one who asks us to be faithful to him is the one who promises to give us true riches. And the one who asks each of us this evening, which master will you serve, is the one who came to earth to serve. Our love of money and wealth will mean, will mean that Jesus' challenge is a hard one for us to live out. And so the only way we'll do it is by responding and remembering God's generosity to us in Christ. Some verses from 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor 
so that through so that you through your poverty might become rich the one who asks you to serve him is the one who gave up all his riches so that you might have true riches and so when you struggle to live out Jesus teaching here be thankful that he has done what you and I could never do in order that you and I might deserve the rich right might receive the riches that we don't deserve. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us this evening. And we pray that you might uh, help us to understand your teaching. Father, we want to confess the fact that in so many ways we do live for worldly wealth and worldly satisfaction. And yet we thank you that in Christ there is forgiveness. In Christ we see the one who gave up all his riches that we might have true riches in you. And we pray, Lord, that as we reflect on that truth, that you would help us to live now in light of eternity. Amen.